Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Performing Arts, a podcast for the New Books Network. I am Alexandra Salkin, and today I'm speaking to Mike Anthony, author of Life at Hamilton, where he chronicles his time as a bartender at the Richard Rogers Theater during runs of famous shows such as In the Heights and Hamilton. Thank you for joining me, Mike. Thank you so much for having me, Alexandra. It's a pleasure. So what motivated you to write this book? Really, the motivation came from the response um, that some of my stories were getting. What happened was I I was just sharing stories on Facebook at first, really just for my family and friends, um, and then not entirely understanding the Facebook uh, security or privacy settings, uh, they ended up getting shared a lot because it was I had had it set to public. So suddenly I was getting a bunch of um, messages from people I didn't know. And the uh, a, a sort of a community started to grow up around the stories that I was sharing. And then before long, it was suggested that um, it might be nice to compile the stories into a book. Uh, so that was the the genesis of life at Hamilton. Oh, so had you ever seen yourself as a writer or was this just sort of what made you want to become a writer? Well, I'll tell you this, Alexandra, my mom definitely saw me as a writer. I (laughs) did not necessarily. I mean, I've always, uh, you know, I've always loved reading and, and I've always done some writing. I mean, I was an actor, um, previously. So I've been involved in the arts. Um, and you know, like I wrote an essay once, uh, when I was maybe 13 that my mom submitted to the new Haven register, a a paper in Connecticut, and it got published. Uh, and it was just this very simple little essay, but the fact that it got published by the new Haven register to my mom, that meant, you know, I was born to be a writer, but of course, you know, your mom always thinks you're great, right? Most most moms think their kids are pretty great. Um, so I had real trepidation about sharing my writing. Um, and then when it came time to publish the book, I mean, it was one thing to have the story sort of safely on a, a little Facebook page. Uh, but the idea of having them go out into the world um, was hard for me. And the way that that really happened was there was a writer who was following me on Facebook. Her name is Stephanie Good, um, and she's um, a New York Times bestselling author. And she asked if she could take my writing to her agent. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that that really um, freaked me out, the idea of a professional um, considering my my writing, what I consider to be fairly simple writing for publication. Um, but he, he liked it and, um, and, and that's how it began. So no, I, I didn't, uh, grow up thinking that I was going to be a writer though. I've always done some writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say, I, I'm assuming this is your first, first book, right? Can you tell, is it that bad, Alexandra? Oh, I was going to say it was, I couldn't put it down. I oh. read the book in a day. I loved it so much. I genuinely oh. could put it down. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> that brings me a large amount of comfort. Yeah, thanks. I'm very impressed that this is your first book because sometimes you can like tell, but with this, I genuinely couldn't tell. 
Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, the, it was easy in the sense that the stuff that I was experiencing was extraordinary. Um, and all you have to do is tell the, the tale clearly. And that sort of takes care of the job, um, you know, 90% of the job, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we can get into experiences. Like, what was it? What was your first interaction with Lin-Manuel Miranda like? <laughs> well, it's a little embarrassing now because uh, I, I just I didn't know him at all. Um, I had I had been in New York for not that long, and I had taken this job as a bartender. Um, like I said, I, I you know I was going to be an actor, and I thought I was going to have this fantastic career. So I took this uh, you know quote unquote day job as a bartender, thinking I'd have it for a short time until my my uh, acting career took off. Um, and then 14 years later, I was still uh, at that day job. But um, yeah, it was during In the Heights. Uh, the show was in rehearsal, so it hadn't opened. Um, it hadn't, previews hadn't begun yet. And this guy came in while I was cleaning the bar one day and he was like, Hey man, do you have any of those cups with the show's logo on them? Um, cause we, we had just started using souvenir cups. If you get a drink at the bar, you get this cup that you can take home. Uh, terrible for the environment, but, but a nice little keepsake, I, I suppose. <laughs> So he, uh, Lynn was giving a party, I think for some kids and he needed like a hundred cups. Um, but I, I was thinking he must he must be a stagehand maybe or someone who worked with merchandise. So uh, I embarrassingly said, uh, "Yeah, um, do you uh, you know are, do you work here?" And he was <laughs> like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, I'm with the show. That's what he said. I'm with the show." So then I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's like a producer or something. So so we worked it out for him to to come back at another time once the cups had been uh, printed. And then later on that night, they were doing a run through of the show and I happened to still be at the theater. So I went in just to check it out and um, the lights come up on center stage and there, there's the cup guy standing there uh, on center stage. And, I, and, a, and this like streak of, of, of terror went through me because I'm like, oh my God. You know, then I'm trying to remember exactly everything I had said to this guy. You know, was I was I nice enough to this man? Uh, And then I pick up a playbill and I find out who he is. And not only is he in the show, he he wrote the thing. You know, he's a he's a you know. And then it turns out that he's one of the greatest um, minds, maybe of all time. But that was my uh, rather inauspicious introduction to to Lynn. That's just such a perfect way to meet him. Just like think he's nobody and then find out, oh, he's, he's, he's that he's, he's essentially Shakespeare. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like whenever I think about this now, it makes me red even right now thinking about it. And and what's great now is anytime Lynn, uh, and first of all, me saying the sentence that I'm about to say is, is a, an enormous shock to me and feels surreal. But anytime Lynn, Lynn writes to me, uh, like in an email or something, he signs it cup guy. So, so <laughs> that's, that's, um, you know, something I'll have to just live with, I suppose now. So have a lot of people from Hamilton gotten to see your book? Like which people have you heard from that have read it? Um, Lynn was the, the most surprising, you know, he, when I, I didn't want to publish it without letting him know or, or sort of getting his blessing, I guess. And uh, so I wrote to the company manager asking if there was a way that they could put me in touch. Cause, cause though I've, you know, quote unquote known Lynn for like 10 years or 12 years or whatever it is now, it's very um, casual. You know, I see him when he comes into the theater, we say hello. I, I didn't even know if he knew my name, you know, I doubted he even knew my first name. Um, 
So when the company manager uh, gave me his email, I was like, oh, okay. And then I wrote to him and then he, he wrote right back. Um, and, I, you know, he's incredibly busy, obviously. He's got all of these projects going on and I didn't want to bother him or take up any of his time. So I just said, you know, I, I'm writing this book and I was just hoping uh, that I could get your blessing for that. And, um, and then he, I said, you know, and I can send you a, a, like a representative story if you'd like to see that. And he said, actually, can you send me the whole book? Uh, and then I immediately began to sweat. Um, it, I mean, if the idea of giving my writing to an agent was bad, the idea of giving it to, as you said, someone who in my mind is is literally as um, gifted as Shakespeare was, that was, uh, I mean, I was just filled with terror and immediately thinking, oh, th- maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe I shouldn't do this. So um to, to get the message back from him um, that he enjoyed the book and that he gave it his blessing and, you know, to let me use the Hamilton logo and everything on the book. I mean, that was just a truly surreal morning. I felt like I was floating for the rest of that day. And, and yeah, I, you know, I, I play softball on the Hamilton team. So I've, I've become friends with uh, some of the cast and um, you know, so uh, those, a few of those folks have contacted me and there's a story in there about like Eddie Lee. um, um, And, and so I've spoken with a few of the uh, people who are in the book and they've all been just incredibly um, gracious and, you know, lovely. That's so great. Uh, You mentioned softball. So I get, That'll go into my next question about the (laughs) Ham for Ham show. You mentioned in the book how the softball team got to participate in the Ham for Ham show. Can you explain what that was like for you? Yeah, that was uh, something that that's hard to explain what that was like. I mean, um, yeah, someone asked Lynn if if he could involve some of the, the bartenders or the house staff in one of the Ham for Hams. And he said, yeah, sure, let's do uh, something with the softball team. So uh, I was sitting in my office one day and um, a stage manager came in and said, hey, and she handed me sheet music, which I don't read, by the way. And she (laughs) said, here, you you can look at this. Lynn wants to rehearse with you guys uh, tomorrow at four on stage. And I was like, Lynn Manuel Miranda wants to rehearse with me? What? You know, and I'm like, I don't know how to read this. I don't know. I I took piano lessons when I was like five. I cannot. I I don't know what this is. And uh, I was freaking out. And of course, it's not. It was not a big deal. I mean, most of the people that were involved in that performance were um, not actors or singers. So I was I was in um, good company for the most part. But uh, to sit in the theater and have Lynn direct me. Uh, along with Alex Lacamoire, who who is the um, orchestrator of the show, mm-hmm. and you know he's a genius in his own right. Um, you know, so I have him, Alex, sitting on my left, and Lynn is uh, leaning against the chair in front of me. And uh, you know, it's a moment where I'm wondering if this is real. Is this a real moment? I have the Sondheim of our time uh, trying to direct me in a scene, a song, um, and it was. Uh, yeah, it was really a, a fun moment that turned into more of what the book ends up being about, um, actually, because, you know, like I said, I had wanted to be an actor. That's what I thought that I was going to end up doing with my life. And being at Hamilton and just working on Broadway in general, you know, the level of talent is extraordinary to a person. Um, to be on Broadway, you have to be fantastic. And I 
eventually realized that I just don't have what it takes. You know, just my vocal cords just don't vibrate in the way they need to vibrate to, to do that stuff. Um, my DNA just doesn't seem to contain the instructions to move my body in the way you need to move it to be a Broadway dancer. Um, and that is a tough realization to, to you know, because we're all told that we can do whatever we want, right? That's sort of a typical thing that parents say. And that's what we're supposed to say, of course, to our kids. And a lot of the time it's true, um, but it's not always true, right? I mean, we, we're not always necessarily able to do whatever we want. And um, so that day when we were doing the ham for ham and we went out and we gave the performance, you know, the quote unquote performance, which was a lot of fun and everything. It was outside right on the Broadway, right on the street. And then we come inside and the actors and everyone in the show took a right to go backstage. And I took a left to go to the front of house. And in that moment, I was like really sad <laughs> about that, mm -hmm. you know, because I had mm -hmm. just for that brief moment, remembered what it was like to perform even in that sort of brief kind of just fun way uh, out on the steps of the theater. Um, but it was a, it was a tough moment at that point. I'm, I'm, you know, a 40 year old bartender. Uh, and not that there's anything at all wrong with being a 40 year old bartender, not at all. Um, for mm -hmm. some people that, that is what they want to be doing. That is their dream. And so that's fantastic for me. It just wasn't my, my dream. Um, so going back behind that bar that day, I was filled with this uh, sort of sadness, you know, that I just hadn't, um, I hadn't lived out the dream that I was watching people live out every day in front of me on that stage. Hmm. So like sort of like seeing just being so close to the action, but not being able to be in the action. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it, I mean, I was I, on a daily basis, right. I'm seeing this action. I'm seeing the dream being lived out. I, you know, I tell the story in the book about the, the first day that I was in the Richard Rogers theater and I'm, uh, standing on stage. No one was in the house. No one was in the theater. Really. I was there early to, to clean the bar up and I'm, I'm standing center stage and I'm looking out at all of these empty seats in this beautiful Broadway theater. And, and I'm, I, I'm, I just ha had just gotten my MFA in acting and, you know, I'm thinking, oh man, this is the beginning of just something great. And I'm imagining Imagining the moment when those seats are going to be filled with people that I'm going to be uh, performing for, um, and and then my uh, my daydream is is interrupted by Angelo, who 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 is the door guy, who now is a, a friend, but he didn't. That was like my first day in the theater, and he's like, "Hey, hey, get off the stage!" And I was like, "Oh God, I'm so sorry." I you know, and then I'm like, "It's okay, I, I work here. Don't worry about it." Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, that's awesome. Get off the stage." And then he, you know, he showed me to the front of house. Um, so then the next day when I'm when I met Lynn and he, and watching him, uh, on that stage. And then when opening night happened and, and he lived out the, the fantasy that I was having, but he lived it out in real life. Um, I mean, that was an amazing thing to witness. Um, and, and then, so fast forward 10 years to Hamilton and I'm still, uh, watching Lynn, um, live out his dreams and I'm still behind that bar. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely caused um, a moment of reflection. Mm. So how did you 
get into show bartending? Because it sort of it feels like you sort of fell into it in a way. I did. Yeah, I was um, I was doing a show. I was doing a play, uh, Twelfth Night in the City, and um, some of the people who were in the cast were Broadway bartenders. And one night they asked me if I wanted a, a, a job. And I, I said, sure, uh, because before that I had been doing temp work um, mostly. So, you know, I was b- basically stuffing envelopes for like $10 an hour, which in, in New York City uh, is simply not enough to get by on. <laughs> um, so when this uh, uh, opportunity to bartend in a Broadway theater came around, I was like, oh, absolutely, I'll do that. E- even though um, I had absolutely no idea. I mean, I tell the story all the time um, that my very first night bartending, I was more nervous than I had ever been on stage. Ever. <laughs> uh, my heart was pounding because intermission happens and there's this crush of people and I didn't know what I was doing. So, um, you know, one of my first customers ordered a Cape Cod and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I sorry. We, we don't have the stuff to do that. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, do you have uh, vodka? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I have vodka. And he said, okay, how about cranberry juice? You have any cranberry juice? Yeah, I have that right here on the gun that I have. And he said, okay, I'll take a vodka cranberry. So I I made the drink and then he walked away and I was bartending beside my manager. And she said, "Uh, that is a Cape Cod. (laughs) That that night I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a bartending for dummies book uh, to try to, to, to learn at least the basics of the job again, because when I took the job, I never imagined I'd be there for more than a few months. Really, I, I you know that, that such was the um, nature of my optimism. I thought I'd only be there for a real short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like bartending was very similar to your exper- your surprise audition in high school. Can you tell me a bit about that and how it got you into theater? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was an incredibly shy kid, like painfully shy. It's hard for me to think about that now because I, I've gone in the opposite direction, you know, becoming an actor. Uh, but when I was a kid, I mean, I could not, I remember my, my parents trying to get me to order for myself at the restaurant, for instance, and we would get back in the car and I would be so mad at them that they had put me in that position where I had to try to speak for myself because um, I was just terrified for whatever reason um, of, uh, of, of talking. Um, and, and that persisted all the way through school. And then, so in high school, uh, freshman year, a friend of mine, I'm sorry, actually, this was sophomore year, a friend of mine uh, who knew very well how terrified I was of sp- public speaking uh, or just speaking at, almost at all, um, filled out an audition form for me because the school was holding auditions for one act plays and my girlfriend uh, uh, was in it. And again, I, I say this in the book too. I say quote unquote girlfriend, cause that meant we like, we held hands, I think a couple of times. <laughs> um, so I had gone to watch her at the audition and this friend of mine filled out an audition form in my name without telling me and put it in the pile. And, and then, so my name got called um, and like heads like whipped around to look at me because they were shocked that I would want to try to do this. Um, but then I was too shy to, to not try it because my name had been called. Everyone's looking at me. So, um, you know, I thought I was going to, I mean, I think I literally came close to passing out, like really actually came close to that. But I, I, I managed to, to get up on the stage with very weak legs and, and, and 
my hand was trembling. I remember the paper shaking and I'm like sweating, you know, my sweat is dripping onto the page. Um, I mean, it was just this terrifying experience. But while I had been watching those auditions happen, um, I remember thinking, oh, I wish they would say that line this way. Or I wish they would pause a little bit right there. Like I had these, I was suddenly filled with these ideas of how I would do the scene. And so when I, I got up on stage, a, a moment came where I came to a line and I knew how I'd been hearing it in my head. And for just the briefest moment, I was able to pause and calm myself down because up until that point, I had just been speeding through the lines. I mean, I was just trying to get these things out as fast as I can so that I can get off the stage and recede back into anonymity. Um, but I paused at this line and I said it the way I'd been hearing it. And this laughter erupted from the uh, audience. And, and in that moment, my life became a different thing. I mean, that, the sound of that laughter um, was addictive. Absolutely, it was addicting. And I loved it. I, I fell in love uh, with comedy, especially right then. And, and that's when um, the, the, the path of, of acting and theater uh, was born. So... Let's go back to Hamilton now. Since you have some experience with theater, when did you realize Hamilton was becoming a phenomenon? Oh, immediately. I mean, even before it came up to uh, the Rogers, you know, it had a run downtown at the public theater and the buzz was unbelievable. Uh, just when it was down at the public off Broadway, uh, it was buzz such that I'd, I'd never quite heard before. Um, so by the time I was going to see it, I had, I was like, this thing better be absolutely spectacular, uh, to live up to what we've been hearing. And oh my gosh, it was spectacular as like the whole world now knows. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, Alexandra, between you and I and your listeners that I am not a history buff necessarily. Uh, so I knew very little about the actual man, Alexander Hamilton. I mean, I, like I was sure I'd heard the name before. I thought that he was probably a president somewhere early on in there. Uh, and I, and I knew that he was in a duel at, at some point and I didn't know if he had won that duel or lost it or, or tied it. But I, I, I just had the very vaguest of, um, notions about Alexander Hamilton. Um, so I was a true blank slate when we went in that night. And, uh, and when I say we went in that night, Lynn, Lynn came in that day, sim very similar to my first experience with, uh, in the Heights, I had been cleaning the bar that day, getting ready, uh, cause the, the first preview was going to be happening the next day. And Lynn came out and invited, um, a, a few of the house staff to come watch the final run through. So it was me and like five or six other people, you know, a few of the swings and, uh, one of my fellow bartenders. And, um, we, we took a seat on, in the front row of the mezzanine. And the show started and within seconds, I mean, my head is bobbing and I, like, I, I really, uh, when I say within seconds, I mean it, I, I was like, this is something um, special. This is like, I could just feel that this was like a seminal moment. This is gonna, maybe it was like a psychic sense. This is going to be a thing, you know, like the, the sense that they had captured lightning in a bottle was so apparent right away. Um, and by the end of that first performance, we were limp, my friend Marie and I, I mean, we were, 
from just the the emotion, the laughing, the crying, the, you know, mm-hmm. she, she was sobbing in the seat beside me. Like she was literally rocking back and forth, um, you know, because, and like I said, because I didn't know the whole story, um, uh, it's okay, right? It's okay to give spoilers now. I imagine most people know. Yeah, the so it is history. So it's, you know. People know, right. Yeah. So when I learned. When I hear that great point, Alexandra, Um, when I learned that, um, you know, she had lived another 50 years, that Eliza had lived another 50 years, that Mm -hmm. got me. And then she spent her those years, um, you know, trying to, you know, she was an abolitionist trying to end slavery. And then to find out that she had formed the first orphanage. um, Oh, God. I mean, I was just, uh, yeah, we were just weepy messes by the end of that show yeah i will say every time i listen to who lives who dies who tells your story i can never get through it without tearing up a little bit especially when they just like say eliza that first time and she steps out and you're like oh "Oh my god (laughs) oh god yeah oh god yep yeah that moment and the other moment that is uh that kills me is forgiveness you know quiet in a quiet uptown mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. my god i mean i'll go in I, I go into the theater a lot just to watch the audience now um because i just love seeing people have that experience it's harder now because so many people <clears throat> are familiar with the show um mm-hmm. but but during that first year when it hadn't you know, the, the, the Disney plus version wasn't out yet. Uh, and before the, um, before the recording was available. So you really had to come to the show to see it and, and watching people watch the last moments of the show, um, you know, seeing all of those hands reach in for like tissues. I just love that. Like nothing makes you feel more connected to humanity than watching 1300 people all like starting to cry together at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just really powerful. Mm-hmm. So what was it like to see the show become more and more popular? <clears throat> oh, yeah, it was fantastic to, to know that the show was having the effect on other, so many other people that it had on me was really awesome to see. I mean, especially with younger people. Um, I mean, you know that theater in this country struggles in a lot of places, right? Other than Broadway, uh, it's the theater struggle. Um, There's just so many entertainment options now. You know, they're fighting against, everyone has a a television screen like in their pockets now. Um, And that's hard for, for live theater to compete with in a lot of places. So, you know, I do a lot of well, I, I, I don't now, but I, I used to do a lot of regional theater, you know, a lot of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And the you, you over the years, I'm watching the crowd get older and older and older. You know, it, it's just like the crowd is literally dying off the theater crowd because um, it was just so mm-hmm. hard to get younger people in. And in Hamilton, it, it happens at least once a week that a little kid comes in and they're like in tears um, before just, just to walk in to the lobby, just to be there. They, they, they're so overcome that they start crying. And I'm talking about kids who are like sometimes as young as like eight, like nine years old, you know, little kids. So to see the show have that effect and it makes you wonder what is it about the show that does that to people, to kids of that age who don't necessarily even understand, you know, who aren't necessarily following the storylines exactly. Like there, there is something ethereal about the show 
that that hits people uh, in their hearts and makes them vibrate. Um, and I don't know, you know, I think part of it is ineffable. I don't know that we can explain exactly. Um, I mean, I know what a lot of it is. Obviously, Lin is an actual genius and his mm-hmm. lyrics and his, his artistry. I mean, he's an unbelievable genius. Uh, but to see how it affects these, especially younger kids. I mean, there's just something about the show that is uh, just really special. Mm-hmm. That he was able to get so many people into theater who usually wouldn't watch theater or be interested in it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, um, you know, I tell a couple stories in the book about situations like that. Like one, one of my favorites was, um, these two guys who were enormous, uh, and I don't want to stereotype anybody, I sh- but that's exactly what I did. They, I mean, cause when I say they were enormous, I mean, they were like, had to be close to seven feet tall and, and he like, incredibly muscular and wide, just enormous. And I was like, wow, what did you guys like meet on a football team or something? And they were like, yeah, actually we did. Yeah. We were, we were, um, offensive division one offensive linemen. I forget what school they played for, but like for some big school. Um, so that's, that, that's why they were so enormous. And then they were, they were like, yeah, you know, our girlfriends dragged us to this thing. They, they came to the bar to get drinks while their girlfriends were taking their seats and they were it was like they were doing a favor you know for their girlfriends like mm-hmm. like m- musical theater was just not at all what their thing um so anyway after act one one of the guys came back to the bar uh for intermission and his eyes were pink like this guy had clearly been crying <laughs> and i was like oh hey hey d1 offensive lineman that you you know the, the guy who's been dragged here to hamilton how's it uh, how's it going in there and all he said was dude. That was all he said. And then he said it like two more times, just dude, dude. And I was like, yep, I get it. Say no more. I mean, he was obviously touched and moved by the show. Um, you know, and and then there's another story in there about this older guy, um, who came, he's probably in his early eighties, I'm I'm guessing. And he was there with two grandkids, uh, and his kid, the grandkids didn't want to leave the theater even for intermission. Like they were so in love with the show. They just wanted to soak in every second. So they just stayed in the theater and he came out to get their, uh, some snacks. And I was like, you know, how's it going? And he was like, well, I'll tell you something. And I was like, oh boy, you know, it's this older white gentleman. And again, I'm stereotyping thinking, you know, this is maybe not the prime demographic for, for Hamilton possibly. Uh, Cause I've had very, very, very few negative reviews to the show. Very, like incredibly few. Uh, and, and, and I thought, well, here, here's one that's coming, but he was like, you know, I, I don't, I, he's like, my hearing is really bad. Um, so I can't keep up with the lyrics, you know, I'm not really sure what they're saying, but I know that it's special, he said. Um, he And then he compared it, and I thought this was like brilliant. He was like, it, it was like when I was in high school and they were teaching us Shakespeare. Um, like, I didn't understand what all the words meant, but I knew that they were important somehow. And, mm-hmm. and he, 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 you know, like some things I feel like hit us in our hearts, if not our brains. And maybe that's part of why some of these young kids who are not necessarily following every storyline in the show are still so moved by the show. And that's what happened to this guy. He just, he said, I know, I know it's special, even though I can't quite hear it. And then he said, and, and looking at my, my grandkids faces, um, you know, that I, I don't need to hear anything to be, to see the effect it's having on my grandkids. Um, so yeah, there are just so, so many stories of, of like that, of this show breaking down, um, 
just sort of transcending barriers uh, in in ways. Mm. Mm. I guess what were some of your best fan reactions at the show? Um, my some of my there have been so many. I mean, one that really, really uh, did me in. Well, there was a, a young girl who came, uh, probably a young teenager, um, and she was without sight. She was blind, and her parents hadn't told her yet where they were. So they must have said, you know, we've got a surprise, so we're going to go to this place, you know, but they, they, they hadn't told her where it was. Uh, and so then they're standing in front of the bar, and the mom says, you ready? You ready to know? And she's like, yes, mom, just tell me, uh, like a teenager. And then her mm-hmm. mom said, we're at, ha- we're at Hamilton. And the girl immediately, immediately burst into tears and her legs gave out, like literally. So her, she collapsed in her mom's arm. Like this makes me, I, you know, it's hard for me to tell the story without getting emotional. She collapsed mm-hmm. into her mom's arms uh, and she sobbed because <laughs> she was at Hamilton. Um, you know, other, other stories like that, that are, that are hard to tell <laughs> because, without crying, but like, mm-hmm. um, there are some kids, you know, we've had some Make-A-Wish kids come. So these are kids who are in typically um, very difficult medical situations. And, you know, I, I, I want to be careful how I word that because I, there's always hope, you know, there's always hope, I believe. And, and I think belief is important in a lot of ways. And so, um, but with these kids, they're typically in a situation where the medical world um, feels like, you know, the the odds are long, right. For, for them to, uh, to beat whatever it is they're, they're fighting. So they're given this, uh, gift, this make this wish where they can pick basically anything in the world pretty much. And, uh, these kids pick Hamilton, right? So they're asked what they would want to do with the precious time that they have left in the whole world. And, and, and what they want to do is come and watch, uh, uh, grown men and women singing and dancing together. That's the thing that they want to do. Um, and something about that just really gets me. I mean, that, that has to mean that what's happening up on that stage is pretty important. Um, right. If that's, if that's the, the wish that these kids are making, but it's just been an endless stream of, um, I mean, it's, it's literally daily that I'm watching, audiences react to this show in such a powerful day, such a powerful way. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally every day, uh, which is why I miss it so much. You know, and that's been since March, um, that, that we've been running. So I miss that connection so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think we're all just sort of finding ways to try and reconnect with theater. I know during the Macy's parade I was just so excited to see all those shows performing and get to watch everything live or kind of live yes that was so great and then and then there was the one night only um Mm -hmm. I don't know if you caught that but yeah I mean I I it was uh that was emotional for me too to to um see that I mean one if there is a, a bright side to this terribly difficult year I think it's that uh it reminds us of the importance of some of these things, you know, the next time that we're all sitting in a theater together, um, all laughing and crying together, um, we're going, 
think we're going to appreciate that more than we already do. I know because of the pandemic, a lot of you concession workers and lights people, managers, actors are all deeply affected by the pandemic. What are some ways that people like me and you can help out of work theater people? Yeah, it's, it's really tough. You know, um, I, I don't know how people are doing it. Um, you know, from, from me, I was able to stay busy, um, be with this book. And then I have another book coming out in, in January because I have this other totally unrelated project coming up. So, so for me, I've been able to, um, keep going, but you know, there, there are things like the actors fund, um, and actors equity association that, that, um, do what they can to help artists. Um, and without those things, it's impossible. I mean, we, I, we don't necessarily um, give give the arts uh, their due, right? In this country, I mean, we spend untold amounts of money on on things like you know defense. Like I think in the defense budget this year, um, we're spending more than the next eleven countries combined are. Yeah, it's like in the billions, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Billions. Yeah. Yeah. If not trillion. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, but, but yeah, it's 11 times, it's more than the next 11 countries combined are. And yet actors are struggling and Broadway is struggling. Now I think in this, um, the relief bill that was just signed, I, I believe there's something in, in there that is, um, helpful to Broadway. I haven't read the art, you know, I get the emails every day about Broadway and there's something in there um, that I think is going to be helpful to Broadway, but I, I can't speak on that cause I have to, I haven't, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. into that yet, but, um, yeah, I mean, for the way for people to, to support, I think artists, um, is just not through this time, but when we're all back again in the theater, it's just, you know, just go to theater, um, and not just Broadway, go to your, go to your local theaters, you know, uh, go to your regional theater, um, it's so important and things happen on that stage that you just cannot get at a movie or playing a video game or anything else. It is a, a, an entirely singular experience to watch a show, a live show, um, with the people that you're sitting with. It's this thing that's going to happen one time. It's literally going to happen one time out of all of the time that the universe is made of. That performance happens once and you share it with the people that you're with and it does something. Um, I, I, I think I write about this in the book too. There was a study done at the city college London, I believe it was. Um, they monitored some audience members at a performance of dream girls on the, in the West end. And, yeah. Um, they were monitoring their electrodermal activity. Like, so their, their heart rates via their skin. Uh, and they found astoundingly and shocking. I mean, they just had no under, no, they, they don't know why, but they, they found out that people's hearts began to beat in time. So their, their heart rate, their heartbeats became coherent with each other for some reason, watching the show together at intermission, the effect went away. And then when the second act started, it came back. So something about sitting together, watching the show literally made their hearts beat together. And again, I, I don't know what that means or, but it's gotta mean something. 
it's got to mean that mm-hmm. it, there's something important happening inside of a theater. Well, I think that's just the great thing about the arts. It's such a unifying thing. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. You are all having that same experience while sitting there in that theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I think you're right. And like, cause life, we live such disparate lives, you know, right. We're all out doing our own things and, and learning our own things and, and, and being whatever we are. Uh, but it's those moments that we come together like that, um, that we see that we're not that different. (laughs) You know, I, I mean, when I, Again, when, when 1,300 people are reaching for their tissues at the end of Hamilton, people from all walks of life, right? 80-year-old guys who can barely hear to, 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 to seven-year-old kids, all, all being moved like that. Um, you know, it shows you that we're definitely more alike than we aren't. And, and we, all, we learn things. I mean, to me, that's the importance of theater, right? Like, you can't tell someone, you know, be a better person, right? I mean, you, you can say that, but mm-hmm. it's hard to, to, to have that have an actual effect, right? Uh, it's hard to just be a better person in some ways. I think what makes us better people is experience, right? It's, 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 it's art. Um, it's, 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 thing, it's like being around goodness that makes us better people, I think. And, and, and helps us learn. And that's what theater does. You know, you, we, we, we learn, um, without even realizing we, 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 we're learning it. You know, I compare it in the book to the, you know, there's the idea that a, a, a frog that can get boiled alive because the temperature is rising so slowly, uh, the frog doesn't notice it's happening. And I mm-hmm. think that's how the opposite of that is how people become better people. I think we become better so slowly. We, we don't even know what's happening and things like theater, can exacerbate that process and speed it up. And it's one of the things that, that bring us together and, and make us better in my, in my view. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I'm going to go into this question. I don't okay. want to ask it, but it's oh. fascinating to me. <laughs> oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous I'm now. On the, on the topic of unity, a not so unifying thing that happened at Hamilton was in, was oh. when a former he, Mike Pence, attended the show. Can you tell me a little bit about that and the fun backlash that came after it? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it, it be- the experience of Hamilton for me became this incredibly meta thing, right? It, it, like on, on stage is being told the story of the birth of a new democracy, while a couple of hundred years later, um, that democracy to some people feels like it's under threat. Right. Um, and, and Hamilton became sort of a flashpoint, uh, or, or a rallying spot, I guess, in some ways for people when Mike Pence came to see the show. Uh, and this is also where my, where life at Hamilton, the book really started to come from, uh, because I had an interaction with Mike Pence that I wrote a very brief, uh, post about just a few sentences. And that post went viral. Um, and, and that's how all of these people started to first found me. Um, but yeah, when Mike, uh, left the show, I, at the end of the show, 
you know, um, Lynn and Jeffrey Seller, the producer obviously knew that he was coming. Um, and, uh, I don't think it's, uh, it's not, it's no secret that Jeffrey, um, what Jeffrey Seller, uh, was very, mm-hmm. uh, discouraged by the election of Donald Trump. Um, and, and aren't we all? As, aren't, well, yeah, I wish it was uh, us all. Um, <laughs> I, I, it still surprises me that so many people voted for uh, what I see as a real step in the wrong direction. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and so most people uh, in uh, maybe maybe all people involved, at least in the Hamilton cast, um, were sort of grieving um, after Hillary lost the election. It was just a real shock. And, um, especially for, uh, women, right. And, 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 and people of color, like all of the people that are not white straight guys, which is mostly what the <laughs> Hamilton cast is. And I am a, a white straight guy. So I want to say that up front that I am aware that I'm speaking from a position of privilege. So I, I can't know what it's like mm-hmm. to not be this, you know, so I just, I'm aware of that. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, most of the people in Hamilton are not straight white guys. And, uh, so the election was something that was really devastating. I don't think that's too strong of a word. Uh, I really feel like people were grieving and then Mike Pence shows up. So it's sort of like right in our face. Right. Um, so Lynn and Jeffrey wrote a message for, um, that Mike, Michael, that the guy playing Hamilton was going to read, uh, from the stage at the end of the show. And it was a very respectful message. I, I have the text of it is in the book. Um, you know, I can't remember exactly what it said right now, but yeah, the- I watched it live when it was happening. Yeah. Oh, I remember great. that yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the gist of the message was, you know, we, we are afraid. Uh, we, we hope that you'll be representative of all of us. It was a very respectful message. You know, if you read the text of it, there was nothing about it that was, uh, incendiary or, or, um, that that you you would take as as rude, um, but when Pence left, of course, uh, Donald Trump took to his favorite platform and uh, mm. wrote on wrote on Twitter that you know the that Hamilton was very rude to Mike Pence, uh, apologized to Pence, um, and that just opened up some floodgates. And so for a week or so after, we had protests happening outside of the of the theater. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just a real sort of bizarre meta thing that was going on, uh, uh, to have, to have democracy being portrayed on the stage, uh, and then, and then to have the vice president of that democracy sitting in that theater, uh, 200 and whatever years later. Uh, and, and it it was also the most electric night of theater that I ever experienced by far because the house lights Mm -hmm. were still up a bit when Mike came in, when Mike Pence came in. So people suddenly saw him and all of a sudden they realized why there was so much security. Cause you know, there's secret service everywhere, but we weren't allowed to tell anybody for obvious reasons who, who was there, yeah. but, but suddenly everyone knew. So the whole show, everyone in the audience is using every reaction to the show as a very pointed message to Mike Pence about the president's <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, yes, it yeah. was. Uh, you know, like, do you know how hard it is to lead that line? 
Uh, I mean, it got mm-hmm. by far the biggest reaction it's ever gotten. Immigrants, we get the job done. I mean, they had to stop the show for like five minutes. It was like, <laughs> the, it brought the house down. And it was such a strong rejection of Donald Trump's rhetoric during the campaign. You know, he, he was, you know, he had the whole thing, you know, demonizing Mexicans and Muslims and just whoever he could point a finger at to try to find a, a villain or whatever. Um, so every reaction was being used as a, as a message um, being delivered to the president elect. And it was, I, I like, I, I say in the book, I, I have never been more proud to, to be a, um, a New Yorker uh, than I was in that moment. It was really, uh, you know, I, I was standing there in tears with every reaction to the show. It was just a phenomenal thing to experience. Mm. I guess on the flip side, what was it like when Barack Obama was there? I'm sure that was oh, an enjoyable experience for you. That was Barack Obama to me was really meaningful in, in my life, <clears throat> just to my psychological well-being. Uh, like for me, the the years of George Bush's presidency were hard, uh, you know, with the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, wars that, you know, it was hard to see the end of. And, and 9-11 obviously was a real trauma. And I was living in New York when that happened. So it just felt like from 9-11 through George Bush's presidency, it was like, where is the light at the end of this tunnel? You know, it just felt like this endless... Um, endless spate of bad news. And then Barack Obama hopped on the scene. And I remembered seeing him in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention when John Kerry was was running. And Obama gave this speech. And I was like, what? Who is that guy? Why can't I vote for that guy? So when, he, <laughs> when he threw his, his, his hat into the ring uh, in, in 2012, um, I was elated. But I didn't think he had a shot. You know, I just didn't think he had a chance. Uh, you know, he, he was such a he'd only been in the Senate for a, maybe a term. Right. And mm-hmm. I just I just did not think he had a chance. So when he won, I mean, we were all we were watching at my sister's house that night. And when he, when when the results came in, um, there was silence in my my sister's living room because we were just uh, overwhelmed by the fact that he had won. And then when he walked out on stage and he gave, like he had the weight of history on his shoulders, you know, I I couldn't imagine what it must've been like. He's as the first black man to be the president of the United States to walk out on that stage. He's got the weight of history on him. And then he gave the best speech I had ever heard that night in Chicago. You know, there's the famous picture of like Oprah crying on her friend's shoulder while he, you know, while he's giving the speech because it was the most amazing speech. Anyway, when I heard that he was coming to Hamilton, I, I like, I lost my mind. I I couldn't (laughs) believe that I was going to be in the same room as Barack Obama. And, um, yeah, he lived up to every, every idea that I I'd had of him. I mean, he, he's such a warm man, you know, like he's just such a warm human being. Uh, and it doesn't matter if there are any cameras on him or not. He's just, uh, you just get the sense that he's just a real guy and whether or not you agree with his policies. And I didn't agree with all of his policies, mm-hmm. um, whether or not you agree with all of his policies there, it's hard to have any doubt that he is a good guy a good person who's trying to do the best that he can. Um, 
And, and um, yeah, it was one of the greatest moments of my life to, <clears throat> to be in a room with him. Even it was only like a minute that I was actually in a room with him, uh, this little ice room in the back. Mm-hmm. But later that night, he, he came twice because um, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the DNC had a uh, fundraiser one night. So he came back for that and he gave a speech. Um, and to hear him say, yes, we can, uh, mm-hmm. while I was standing like, you know, 50 feet from him was one of the most thrilling moments of my life. Yeah. Reading your experience, meeting him, I, I can very much relate. I think I, I would have had a lot less composure than you did. I'm oh. very impressed by that. And I would also make very inappropriate jokes to the secret service oh. people. I, I really yeah. related to that. <laughs> just like, oh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a threat. I just am freaking out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I really was. Yeah. And the secret service, luckily by, by the second time they, you know, it was, it was a lot of them were the same people. Um, so they had warmed up, I think a little bit to some of the staff, you know, they, they knew us a tiny bit. So, you know, cause I, I was trying to get from the secret service. I'm like, what, can you please tell me about Roswell and like, do we have alien bodies at Roswell? Please just tell me, I swear to God, I'll keep it a secret. And, um, and, and we, we actually ended up having like, like a lot of fun with those guys. Um, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's going to be, like I say in the book, telling the the story of meeting Obama is going to be one of the ones that my grandkids are just going to be very, very tired of hearing. Mm Um. So I was scrolling through your reviews and I saw one in particular that made me laugh where the reviewer was calling your book fake news. What was your <laughs> reaction to that? Oh, I, it just made me laugh. I mean, it, for, yeah. I, I, I definitely expected that, that we were going to get some, some, uh, some negative reviews maybe from, some uh, Trump supporting people. Uh, my first reaction was, "How did this guy get the book? Like, why did he? Why did he <laughs> buy the book? That's a surprise." Um, but yeah, uh, you know, he called it, uh, uh, yeah, juvenile and fake news, and and you know, that that shows you where we are. Um, I think as a society, when you call just a, a, a story that's just a true story about a person's life fake news. Um, that's, you know, probably the main problem that we're having right now in America is this idea Mm -hmm. that there is such a, such a thing as, as quote unquote fake news. Um, yeah. So it, but it just, it just made me chuckle. Yeah. It's like calling your book, like the onion, right? (laughs) which is actually, (laughs) well, no, it's, it's it's my story. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Although I'll have to say, like, some things have happened over this presidency that, like, if you wrote them in The Onion, it, it'd be hard to tell if they were Onion stories or real stories, you know? Yeah, those are always funny, where you're like, I I, I genuinely can't tell if he has done this or not. Right. <laughs> luckily, luckily, that nightmare is almost over. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. I know your experience you described of watching Obama win was sort of similar to when Biden just won, where it was like a, a weight had been lifted almost where you, oh, yeah. I like couldn't believe it was happening. My dad had to repeat it to me multiple times being like, he won. I went, what? <laughs> mm, 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, like, like we've been talking about, I, I do, I do think that for a lot of people, it was traumatizing to have elected mm-hmm. someone who had said the things he has said. I mean, when, when the, when the tape came out of him saying, you know, what he had said to that guy, I was like, well, yeah. come on, even the staunchest of the GOP can't get behind a guy who is on tape saying that, right? They, they can't. Um, and then, and then they did. And so my, my, like my sisters were, were, were sobbing when he got elected. I mean, it, it was really, uh, psychologically, it was devastating for them to, to know that so many people had said, okay, to a person who, who was done and said the things that, that he had. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like we're running out of time. I guess I'll ask you my last question, which is, okay. what's next for you? Well, next is a uh, something entirely different. Uh, um, my my dad passed a number of years ago, uh, about nine years ago, and after that happened, I started having experiences that were very difficult to explain. Uh, things that seem to be communications from my dad somehow. Um, now, b- before I became an actor, I had actually planned on being a science teacher. I was going to be a high school science teacher. So I've always been, um, you know, scientifically oriented. Mm-hmm. And uh, when these things happened, it was like, well, these are things that science does says are not possible. Uh, so I started to make a documentary about what was going on. And uh, during the middle of that, Netflix decided to do a series uh, based on the book of someone who was in my film. And through that, they heard about my story. Uh, so they decided to to put that in the series as well. So it's called Surviving Death, uh, and it will be on uh, Netflix on January 6th. It's a six-part mm-hmm. series. And then um, I have a book coming out connected to that called uh, Love Dad, How My Father Died Then Told Me He Didn't. Uh, and that'll be published next month as well. So yeah, it's something uh, something a little different for the next one. Okay, well, can you let everyone know where they can buy Life at Hamilton? Yeah, uh, you can go to mikeanthony.com uh, mm-hmm. and the links will be there for, for Life at Hamilton and for the for the next book as well. Okay, and well, it's available sure. on, on Amazon and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, wherever books are sold. Right. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me, Mike. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you uh, so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Um, This is Alexander Salkin with New Books Network. Uh, Goodbye. (laughs)